Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later, Dairy Gold Agri Business Beef and Tillage Manager, Mr. Liam Leahy, on grain and other aspects of the crop production. Minister Martin Hayden on farmland re-wetting, plus several other topics. First, a reminder regarding the Charleville Show, taking place today, Saturday, 24th of June, and tomorrow, Sunday, 25th of June. Bernie Carroll, PRO for Charleville Agricultural Show 2023. On the Saturday, we will have the showing of the ponies, and we have show-jumping both days. We have the judging of the dairy and the beef on the Saturday. Uh, we have pony club games on Saturday. We have the judging of all the decorative classes, horticulture, adults and children's art, craft and cookery. All that judging goes on Saturday morning. And then once the judging is over, that's open to the public as well. And of course, we have lots and lots of trade stands. Great interest this year again. Things are back to normal to pre-COVID time, thankfully. We have, as well, John, to mention the very um, entertaining Pets Corner. The kids absolutely love it, and it is spectacular to see as well. And we have, on Saturday, bagels. Um, we've had a display of bagels for the last few years, and they have become very popular. So I suppose it's important to mention that the dairy and the beef are on Saturday, because sometimes people come on Sunday to the show and be looking for the cattle, and it's Saturday, so it's it's important, I suppose, to highlight that. So then on the Sunday, we have the showing of the horses. We have show jumping again on Sunday. Uh, we'll have the judging of the sheep. We have all-time crafts, and this year we have a new attraction, which is um, Health and Wellness Advisory Clinic. So it's basically... Um, practitioners uh, from the area that are all basically self-employed people and they're coming and giving their time voluntary to speak. Um, they'll each get half an hour each to speak about what they do and what they can do for people with a pain in their neck or a pain in their shoulder or different things. They do different treatments, a lot of holistic therapies and uh, it would be a big attraction as well for um, male and female. So that's a new thing we have this year that we haven't had before. And a lot of people are actually ringing up about it to know what this is about and can we come and can we help. So it's all about that. So as well on Sunday, as you mentioned yourself there, John, earlier, we have the dog show and very, very popular on the Sunday. And we have a baby show on the Sunday. And of course, we'll have all the trade stands again on the Sunday. And it's important as well as both to mention that on Sunday from about 11 to 3, we have free entertainment for children because as a family going to an agricultural show, it can be an expensive day out because the kids want to be in the amusements all day. So we have this year provided free entertainment for, I think, five to six hours uh, for the kids as well. So that's good. And also on the Saturday this year, we have live entertainment and music with Dermot Lyons and on Sunday, we have John McNichol and Dermot Lyons again. So there'll be plenty of music, song and dance around the field, which will create nice um, atmosphere as well. Some of the sponsors we have, we have them since the very start of the show. And we are very uh, deeply indebted to them all that they continue sponsoring the different classes 
and without that kind of sponsorship and financial support, you couldn't run the show because, to be fair, the show now is costing over 200000 for a two-day show. The expenses are going up every year. So we need sponsors. And what we'd like to, especially as Boss mentioned, Kerry Group, who are our main sponsors of the show, and they have been with us since they came to Charleville. And, it, they, you know, it's just thanks to them as well. So every bit of support we get, either voluntary or financial or whatever, is greatly appreciated. A brief reminder there from Miss Bernie Carroll, PRO for the 2023 Charleville Agricultural Show, the Pike Road, Ballyhay, just outside Charleville. Opening 9am on Saturday and Sunday mornings, that's the 24th of June and 25th of June. Charleville Agricultural Show from 9am onwards. Next in our programme... John Humphreys, Dry Stock Advisor Mallow. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, Mr John Humphreys, B&T Dry Stock Advisor, Beef and Sheep, Chagas, Sandfield in Mallow in County Cork. John, welcome to the programme. Fertiliser requirements post the dry weather vis-à-vis grassland. Any comment on that, John? Thanks very much, John. I suppose suppose my comments on the the fertiliser would would be if, if grass isn't growing... Um, it's not u- using a lot of nitrogen in particular. Um, now, when when farmers get any any bit of wet weather, they go out immediately and spread a lot of fertilizer. I'd be cautious and calm. I'd rather we say split that that fertilizer application in two because there will be nitrogen in the soil, particularly when grass hasn't grown in the dry weather, and that that can be used first before uh, grass will, will will grow. So. I'd be just a bit cautious on spreading too much nitrogen. We won't get into the volumes straight after a, d- a dry spill. So I suppose that's the message I'd like to get across. And of course, it looks like we're in for a fairly prolonged uh, dry period with the occasional very welcome shower, but uh, no floods if possible. We turn now to the next uh, item on the agenda, as it were, in terms of um, importance circular cow breeding and bull management and the quality of the stock bull. There's a big emphasis now at the moment on, on particularly for sustainability on increasing the quality of the of the stock bull used. I suppose we see there in the new SEP scheme um, that the requirement for a star rated bull, a four or five star rated bull uh, to breed four and five star replacement heifers for that scheme is important. So I, my simple message is Evaluate how good or how how well your bull is performing. Um, if you can upgrade, try and upgrade. But it's it's worth thinking for the future, in particular, that a, a good star-rated bull will probably leave his progeny there for generations to come, which is which is important for the future of, of uh, bee farming as well. So. The other, thing, the other very simple thing is that the bull must be functional, and particularly in the middle of the of the breeding season, if he goes lame or if he goes sick, these things which farmers can pick up and quite quickly can affect your calf crop majorly in twelve months, in nine to twelve months' time. So, you know, these are small few things that we just w- would like to bear in mind. Now, of course, John, you're a B&T dry stock advisor with Chagaskin Sandfield. But if we had to look at uh, dairy calves, the dosing requirements for dairy calves on grass. Yeah, I suppose, you know, I suppose there's a few things in dairy calves that I suppose are constantly coming up. I suppose 
I suppose coccidiosis is something that people must always be aware of. And also you have the, the worm burden on pasture. But I'd be advising to look at, talk to your vet and, and look at coccidiosis treatment number one. And maybe one treatment inside and one treatment outside for coccidiosis is definitely worth considering. And the worm burden or the worm, we'll say, establishment on pasture, I suppose it's important to realise that if calves have a worm burden, it may take, it, 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 you must be very careful treating it because if you go in with some of the, the ivermectins or we'll say the very tough drugs on um, worms, for a young calf it might, it, 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 it might be tough on his system. So I'd be advising most farmers to oral dose first worms and if you think you have a problem then you could uh, use one of the injections the ivermectins but just be a little careful on that because you must be if i would always go with an oral dose first and then follow up with a an injectable so these are just a few small tips i'd just like to to put across certainly john very useful indeed now we look at weaning of lambs and lamb selection for slaughter. That's another item which I think uh, would be certainly very squarely in your field as B&T dry stock advisor, beef and sheep. So weaning of lambs and lamb selection for slaughter. The, the lamb trade is, is positive at the moment. You know, you're talking somewhere between 770 and 790 a kilo, depending where you go. Um, there is a, a, a festival at the moment uh, I can't pronounce now. It's, a, it's, a, it's it's one of the foreign festivals. It's um, usually the the price peaks around this time of the year, and there probably will be uh, a price drop in the next few weeks. Now, what what will that mean to the, the the average sheep farmer? If you're going to wean your lambs, I'd look at the I'd look at the, the fleshiest of them, and I consider if they were anywhere close to the to, to the weights, I'd consider consider them for slaughter for two reasons. Number one, lambs kill out better directly after their mothers because of they're still they're still on milk. And number two, the price is is quite good. And if it's looking like the fall, it's certainly worth considering moving now rather than in a month's time because that extra weight you put on, you you, you might get the financial benefit for it. So. Any person thinking about weaning at the moment, certainly assess the lambs, see are they, are, are they suitable to slaughter or not, and uh, and then wean, because post-weaning it takes a good bit of feed to bring those lambs back up to the same carcass weight again. And, you know, in this, in this time of expensive rations or expensive grass or whatever, it's important to utilise your carcass um, gain off milk as best as, poss- as best possible. So... So, John, that's that's my my, my advice on, on on the lamb carcass side of it, anyway. You know. Well, it certainly makes sense. Sheep twenty three. Did you get a chance of going to sheep twenty three? I was on one of the the lamb selection stands. Um, a very positive feedback from it, John. There was which I thought was was was, was excellent. Was the amount of pedigree breeders of all different. Uh, of all different breeds were there. There was a, there was a huge show of pedigree breeders. There was a huge show of um, of trade stands. Um, it was a good day, and I uh, I must say I didn't realise there was as many sheep farmers in Ireland because the crowd was quite was very positive. Now I suppose 
the main message I got from sheep 2023, I suppose, would be the the importance of uh, sheep handling facilities. And there was, in fairness, now there was a, there was a great array of of um, sheep handling facility uh, facilities available on the day that you could purchase or, or, or look at. And um, there was a reasonable positive uh, lamb trade, and uh, I suppose people were were I suppose. The costs are high, but they are coming com, com, coming back coming back a small bit in line. So I suppose there was a degree of positivity. It's hard to to say in dry stock at the moment. There's a big lot of positivity for due to the farm costs. But John, I think it was a great day and it was a, a very positive thing for the sheep industry in general. You know, people could meet and very often by sharing a problem, the person might go away with a different attitude, saying, "Well, look, we'll we'll keep trying." I met a lot of we'd say glass half full people there, you know, people that would have still have positivity in the in the sheep industry. And look, there is a lot of negative thoughts on I'd have to agree with you, but it, it, it won't get you too far, I suppose. You have to concentrate on um, what you can do to, to to change the situation. And I felt there was, just walking around talking to people now last Saturday, there was a degree of optimism, I'll call it, John, you know, which, is, which was refreshing because <laughs> it's... Um, it has been a difficult 12 months, there's no question, you know. But thank you very much indeed for talking to us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme. Mr John Humphreys, B&T Dry Stock Advisor, Beef and Sheep, Chagask, Sandfield and Mallow in County Cork. Thank you, John, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, John. You're thank very you. welcome. Following a recent Fine Gael regional meeting on agriculture, food and rural development, Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Minister Martin Hayden, spoke to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme about the issue of re-wetting of farmland. First of all, Minister, a word or two about this recent Fine Gael meeting. And indeed, earlier, one had taken place in Mitchellstown in North Cork. Your listeners might recall that Fine Gael established the, national, the party's National Agriculture, Food and Rural Development Forum uh, last year at an AGM in the Midlands. And appointed as um, chairperson of that forum was former IFA President Eddie Downey. And we have, since with that forum, that it makes up 61 ordinary members of Fine Gael from all around the country, uh, travelled and had a series of public meetings engaging with farmers, with food producers, uh, with people with a keen interest in community and rural development as well, um, to talk about the issues at hand, uh, to have engagement with people like myself, ministers, and like Minister Harris in, in Carlo last Thursday night. Um, but also we've had meetings in Mitchellstown, as you say, that had Minister Simon Coveney added in attendance with myself. Minister for Rural Affairs, Heather Humphreys, uh, also attended a, a meeting with Senator Lombard down in Bantry. All the meetings have been very similar. You know, you open up with your speeches, but after about half an hour, we get into the important bit, which is the uh, questions and answers. And in that space, you know, you won't be surprised to learn that the issues that came up were about nature restoration um, and, and other measures that are in the news at, at present um, that are obviously contentious. But in terms of nature restoration and, and proposals around re-wetting, this has been a significant week just gone now in Europe uh, as the Council of Ministers uh, have agreed a general approach to the nature restoration law. And just to explain uh, the reason there's been some, I suppose, confusion um, out there around um, what is being proposed or what requirements may be put on us as a state um, around restoring some of our land back to nature, our peatlands, is because there are different proposals. The European Parliament has had one set of proposals that are particularly uh, stringent um, and the Council of Ministers have agreed a general approach now that is something that 
has a lot more compromise in it that I believe that we can live with a lot more. And then the European Commission will have trilogue meetings now that will try and bring the two together and try and get a final consensus that um, has the built-in flexibilities that we in Fine Gael have looked for um, and that our MEPs and others have looked for to make sure that, you know, there's due cognizance of the fact that Ireland has a lot of natural peatland. Uh, we can, if we're let, you know, be in a position where um, we, we can have the majority of this, all our requirements all be catered for by using state-owned land through Creelche, through Bordnamona, uh, and Bordnamona, as we know, are already through a process of rewetting some 33,000 hectares. Um, and I believe the flexibility will be there that any farmer who wishes to do this will be able to do so in a voluntary manner and will be financially um, uh, supported to do so, but won't have to do it in mandatory. That's definitely something that wouldn't be acceptable to me, um, that it would be done on a mandatory basis, somebody who's reclaimed the land down through the generation. Um, I think it, it's really important. And I, I think the money that needs to be found here for this has to be new money. It can't come out of the cap. Um, the cap cannot be expected to support this environmental measure. Farmers have to be supported uh, who wish to do that on a voluntary basis to farm their land in a lower management intensity should be financially resourced from money outside of the cap. The IFA, they have expressed concern. They say that the Green Minister hasn't clearly stated how land will be acquired. There is a fear that CPO's compulsory purchase orders might be employed to take land from farmers where, as you've said there, it was redeemed over maybe hundreds of years people have redeemed the land from Bogdan, but of course we know with the international climate and global climate situation, we do have to look uh, to retain or bring back land that soaks up this uh, deadly uh, carbon. But do you feel that farmers can relax in terms of their land not being acquired through CPOs? Absolutely. Absolutely, John. Farmers are on a journey to restoring nature as it is through the acre scheme and the unprecedented 46,000 farmers that signed up for that environmental agri-environmental scheme, they've proven their ambition in this regard. We have farmers taking part in the ASAP Quality Assurance Programme. Um, we have farmers taking undertaking a range of different measures to help the country meet its overall climate target, to restore nature, to improve the trends in our air and water quality. But farmers are doing that in partnership. Uh, where we need to support them in the state, we're doing that. But, you know, our, the really important element of the 25% target on emissions that we signed up to last year for agriculture, the key point of that for me was the volu- it was voluntary and the farmers will do this through incentive. And, you know, anybody that thinks that you could take an approach of compulsorily purchasing land to do, do these measures, you'd be very quickly in a very different scenario. And that's not the space we're in. We're in partnership here with agriculture. We want to continue to produce the top quality food that we do that is needed. This nutrient-dense food is needed around the world. Um, but we also want to uh, play our part in, in, you know, restoring nature, in improving our water quality and reducing the emissions profile. And we can do that. And I'm happy that the there's now safeguards in place in this proposal that was agreed this week from uh, the council that will um, allow much greater flexibility for countries to be uh, that would suit us in Ireland and uh, that we would still meet our requirements. Um, but that any measures that have been talked of for farmers are voluntary. Minister, we appreciate you giving us your valuable time, but pesticide regulation, that's uh, one of the situations that arose, the spotlight was on in the Monster meeting and again in Carlo. But pesticide regulation, do you feel at EU level that there is an appreciation of, on the one hand, the general public worried about the quality of their food, 
and on the other, the farmers needing some type of chemical to ensure a good harvest. Yes, and this is a balance. This is a balancing act, you know, and my view here is very clear. Any decisions that are, are made in this area need to be based on strong, robust science um, and not on sentiment and not on fear-mongering. Um, and we have to get a balance right between, you know, continuing to research the impact of these measures. Yes, we want to see a reduction in our overall dependency um, on the use of sprays uh, where possible, but also be mindful of the fact that we are producing food that is very much needed. Um, and this food... You know, if we're not able to use any uh, of the current sprays, then that food won't be produced at the same level. Um, Farmers won't be able to make a livelihood or a living from doing that, and therefore then the whole system could break down very quickly. So it's about also putting research into alternatives. I was in Oak Park this week as well, uh, where, you know, Chagas held the National Crop and and effectively the National Tillage Day, uh, if you like. And, you know, we have a resistance to some aphicides um, that are a very significant concern for our tillage farmers. Um, We have, you know, no more than antimicrobial resistance in animals we have from from using doses that have uh, very few uh, different ingredients where you get resistance building up that is a concern for us and um, we have to continuously research and make sure that we are investing in coming up with solutions to these challenges uh, while also making sure that we're not using anything that is damaging. Good news, great news for people in rural Ireland, for younger people, aspiring veterinary students. I understand uh, your minister colleague, Minister Simon Harris, has made a very important announcement pointing, indicating that uh, an institution outside Dublin, maybe Limerick, will uh, produce opportunities there for younger Irish people to study veterinary medicine as opposed to going to Poland, Romania or Hungary. Yes, at present we have over 200 Irish students every year go abroad to study veterinary and that is something that Minister Harris and I in government want to reverse and want to change. Um, And from that perspective, we're looking to grow beyond just our UCD veterinary college, uh, which obviously is is a really good institution. uh, And we want to get some balanced regional development on that as well. So what Cabinet agreed this week was beyond just veterinary, also nursing and and, uh, medicine courses, is to look to grow more faculties. Um, And we move to a new phase now um, of assessment and adjudication with three colleges, University of Limerick, um, SETU in the southeast, uh, and ATU also uh, in, north, in the northwest um, to see how they could develop faculties that could um, provide uh, veterinary places into the future that our Irish students don't need to travel abroad uh, to study these very important areas. And, you know, your farmers listening to the show today will be very aware that we have a limited amount of large animal vets um, and we need them and they're very important to us. So we need to make sure we've enough of them being trained here in Ireland. And that's what we're determined to create more space to do. Minister of State of the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Minister Martin Hayden. Minister, thank you very much indeed for uh, talking to our listeners in Cork and Munster. Thank you, Minister, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. Mr. Aidan Brennan, Dairy Editor, Irish Farmers Journal, joins us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. First of all, Aidan, welcome to the programme. Now, the front page in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, it's a startling figure, culling of 200,000 dairy cows. What's the background to that very important article on the front page of this week's Irish Farmers Journal? Yes, Charles, so I suppose over the last number of weeks and months, it's been noted by the government that they plan to introduce a dairy cow cull scheme 
which is going to um, voluntarily, I should say, uh, reduce the national dairy herd by 200,000 cows. And the talk is that there'll be a payment per cow for farmers that want to reduce their cow numbers. They either get out of cows altogether or reduce their, you know, the size of their herd. So the 3,000 euros per cow is, is the figure that's being put out there. But I suppose we've been doing some analysis in the Farmers' Journal and, and, and which led to the front page story this week showing that the actual cost of such a scheme will be far greater to the farmers that are remaining in dairy farming because they're going to have to cover the additional costs of, of the fact that there's going to be less milk going through milk processing plants, which is going to lead to a higher cost of production. So if you take it that there's 200 dairy cows will produce about 1 billion litres of milk. Currently, we produce 8.8 billion litres of milk in Ireland. If we take 1 billion off that, we'll be back to 7.8 billion litres. Now, not all the costs associated with producing that milk will, will go. So there will be some fixed costs in processing. And we take it that it's roughly around 4 cents per litre will still remain. And we're taking that, you know, 4 cents a litre is, is the fixed cost of producing milk. So that could carry on then to the 7.8 billion litres that's remaining. And, and I suppose on a farm level then, if you have 100 cows, it's going to cost you about 2,500 euros per cow for farmers that aren't taking part in the scheme. All farmers will have to cover this cost that are remaining in milk because those fixed costs won't disappear, even though a billion litres of milk will disappear. One billion litres of milk, about 11% of the national figure, will be cut. But has there been any really detailed study of the financial impact downstream in rural Ireland of this massive uh, change taking so much out of the Irish economy? Do we have any financial impact study or analysis? No, John, this is, the, this is the first piece of analysis that's been published is on behalf of the Farmers' Journal this week. There's been no downstream effect on reducing milk production by a billion litres. And, I mean, we can safely say there, it'll be in multiples of the 40 million that we've discussed in the journal this week because if you take it, a billion litres of milk at, let's say, 35 cents per litre, that's 350 million euros going into the rural economy. And as we know from previous studies, there's a multiplier effect on that. So it multiplies by you know two or three times because farmers who get that money will go away and, and buy fertilizer, buy seeds, buy a new tractor, buy you know milking parlors and, and so on and so forth. So there's a multiplier effect for the rural economy. And if that milk is not produced, that money won't go into rural Ireland. Now the government's they're aiming to cut the national herd, they're aiming to cull two hundred thousand dairy cows. It's a far cry from the time when we were welcoming the abolition of the EU milk quota. But one tiny redeeming feature, if we might call it that, is this we understand is to be voluntary. Yeah, look, I mean on your first point, it is a huge shift in policy. It's not long ago we had Enterprise Ireland giving out grants to milk processors to increase capacity to process more milk. And then we have, you know, obviously grants on dairy farms and so on to um, to increase production also. So there is a huge shift in government policy. Look, the, the purpose of it is, I suppose, to ensure that we reach our, our climate change targets of our 25% reduction in, 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 um, in emissions. And I mean, look, I, I think we'll get close to that before we even look at culling cows. But it is a huge change. Um, and I mean, that's, it's, it's one that, that farmers, I suppose, are, are concerned about, uh, particularly those that want to, to remain in, in the industry and, and want to see the next generation taking over. So it, it, it is a huge concern. And I understand a special working group has been set up to try and tease out the details of this massive plan. 
Yeah, so it's part of, of the this group will report back to the, the Food, Fish and Dairy Group, which was set up, uh, I suppose, about 12 months ago at this stage, to, um, to, 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 to plan, I suppose, a, a track for farmers to reduce their emissions and it's supposed to go back, it's the, the report is supposed to be issued to this group, but it's probably a couple of months away yet. Um, and even then, you know, I mean, there will be uncertainty around it. A lot of the farm organisations I'm hearing don't like what's coming. Uh, and there will be some resistance, particularly from the, the milk processors, as you'd expect, but also the farm organisations who are concerned about the implications of a, of a call to the national nerd. This could very well impact on our agri-exports. A massive figure we hear every year, 12, 13, 14 billion euro. When we had the financial crisis 10 years or more ago, well then when we had nothing, we suddenly found, hang on, we've 9, 10, 11 billion euro of food exports. Yeah, it definitely will. I mean, the, the, a billion litres of milk, as I say, it, it's the 400 million directly going back into the world economy uh, for milk price alone. And I mentioned the multiplier effect. So it will affect our exports. There's no doubt about that. This is an indigenous industry. It's, it's very profitable for farmers that do a good job to be dairy farming. And, you know, it's, it's the most profitable sector within Irish agriculture. So for me, I think it's, you know, the government need to think very long and hard before they introduce any scheme, whether it's voluntary or not, because it, it, it sends a very different signal to what farmers have been getting for the last number of years. And, and the, you know, we, we know that the government continues to say that Irish dairy farming is sustainable. But they say that on one, on one hand, and on the other hand, then they're going to say we will need to reduce the national herd to become more sustainable. So for me, it's a policy decision that doesn't really make that much sense. Uh, I think we'd be much better off focusing on the things we can do to reduce our emissions. Because an important point to make on this as well is, of course, that you know if we reduce our cows in Ireland, there's, you know more than likely there's going to be those cows are going to be milked somewhere else in the world that has a higher environmental footprint. So it won't help climate change globally if those cows aren't milked in, milked in Ireland. It would actually be better if they were milked in Ireland because we have a lower greenhouse gas footprint compared to elsewhere in the world. So for me, it's it, you know it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, um, and, and farmers are concerned about it. So to sum up then, speaking to Mr. Aidan Brennan, Dairy Editor, Irish Farmers Journal, to sum up Aidan, we really should be watching everything like a hawk because it's the farmer's own interest. And as you say, if those cows which are culled, the prospect of culling 200,000 dairy cows, if they're culled here, that equivalent number will be milked elsewhere, possibly in Holland or God knows where. On the one hand, you're being told you, know, you won't be forced to cut your herd, but on the other hand, it would seem that pressures will be there for you to do so. So it's uh, something we ought to watch very, very carefully and protect our key dairy industry. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr. Liam Leahy, Beef and Tillage Manager, Dairy Gold Agribusiness. First of all, Liam, welcome to the programme. Now, the crops situation at the moment. John, I suppose... You know, things have improved dramatically in the last couple of weeks since we got those uh, long overdue rains. Um, you know, maybe to flick through, uh, the winter crops by and large are very satisfactory. Winter barley has, I'd say, improved dramatically an awful lot of crops from what, what I would have considered normal enough or maybe a little bit below normal crops in the autumn coming into the or in the winter coming into the early spring, they bulked up quite a bit uh, in late spring, early summer, into what I would consider very promising crops. Um, very clean, no real issues with them. 
Um, even some of the later ones that were planted and planted with, uh, I suppose, a good question mark over them, they've grown into be quite promising crops. So, you know, it's hard to call it, but I'd be happy with them. Uh, winter wheat. Uh, winter wheat is probably the star performer in the field at the moment. It's really, it really showed its metal during the winter. It put up with the abuse, put up with the weather, and it has cropped promisingly. And I'd be very, very optimistic on winter wheat. Um, we have very little winter oats. What's there is nice, but it's a very small crop. I suppose the other crop that's worth mentioning is oilseed rape. Uh, oilseed rape has, again, shown its true colours this year. It's very, very promising. But I put a word of warning, you never know with, with oilseed rape. It's so hard to quantify it. But looking at it today, it's real, real promising. Uh, I'd be happy with it. Maybe just to comment on winter wheat. In recent times, winter wheat... Is starting to really be challenged with Septoria now. And I think most growers that are growing wheat now are very professional at it and get this, the chemical application. It's very, very correct. And I think this year that's coming to its fore again. Those that are growing it with properly timed fungicides, uh, they're keeping it reasonably clean. Um, spring cropping, spring cropping is spring cropping is promising, with one exception, I would say, and that's the later on spring barley. That's a very mixed bag with a significant number of short, poor crops that I don't think will yield, will yield, will yield too rewarding there. But look, they really got the brunt of the weather. Some of those crops didn't see any rain until a week ago, maybe two weeks, ten days ago. And I suppose it's unfair on them to expect they're going to deliver any reasonable yields. But look, strange things happen. But uh, I think the earlier storm went... Spring barley crops are very, very promising. Spring wheat crops are equally as promising. So, by and large, you'd be happy enough for them, except at late spring, spring barley. That's granted, right. of course, as your board has hinted there, you know, the bit of rain we got, not as much as we wanted, but the bit of rain we got, I think, eased the stress on the crops. Oh, God, John, to, 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 to work 50 kilos of nitrogen to some crops. But, you know, it did, of course, it eased the pressure, and it really lifted some crops off the ground. You know, it's 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 a difficult thing for me to say, but it, that could lead to little complications in us as assemblers of malting barley in particular afterwards. And I'm just kind of maybe raising a white flag that we could have late tillers come through some of those crops now. And even late surges of nitrogen coming into them as the, as the applied nitrogen is mineralized with the rain. And that could lead to protein our green grains. I just don't. We don't want to see them. over I'm just, I'm just raising the flag. That I just hope that's not going to be an issue. But the rains, the, the, those rains are worth the fortune, John, to those crops. And and look, it will make crops out of very moderate crops. It will help them to bulk up a bit. So look, there's a trade-off, isn't there? You get the rain, and maybe it brings a few issues with it. But we'll leave it at it. It gives them a bit of a break anyway. It takes the stress off in some respects. Now you refer to fungicides there earlier, correct? Uh, careful application of fungicides, would you say that grass weeds are now becoming evident in tillage fields to some extent? Yes. Straight answer to your question, yes. Um, there is a gradual turnover or changeover to different methods of establishment and probably maybe slightly different crop rotations in recent years, and it has led to an increase in grass weed problems, and it's only in the last month there, maybe even less three weeks that you'd start to see some of those uh, 
species starting to come through crops. So I'm talking about Dicesterid bloom. I'm talking about maybe wild oats as well, which isn't the grass that's the cereal, but some of those, that's continuously a big issue. But then we also have this new kid on the block, and I suppose she's not that new anymore, but black grass, and there is bits and pieces of it around the place. And it's a big, big issue. It's a big challenge for farmers that have it. And it takes a very, very disciplined and focused approach to try and deal with it. And maybe as unpopular for me for saying but I'm going to say it, I'm not so sure is it a question of trying to eradicate the weed. I think maybe at this stage it's a question of trying to learn how best to farm around the weed. And the answer is not always in a can. The answer is a more disciplined rotation, more disciplined establishment method. Um, crop choice have a big part to play in it. Sowing date is so, so important to hold back your sowing date. Yes, uh, plant pesticides are a part of the solution. But I would say they're very far down the the, the choice, the picking order, all other things have to be put in order first. Uh, look, they're an issue, uh, John, and we're going to have to try and deal with it, and I'm fully confident that the agricultural industry will deal with it. But it is a big challenge, and unfortunately it's growing. And uh, some authorities feel it's almost insoluble. It came to us, I believe, from the UK, and it, you know, the tiny, tiny seeds, they multiply and spread so quickly. But it, it's terrifying if you think it through. But you refer there to management. You're paying attention to management, and uh, in that way, at least, we might never totally eradicate it. It's a bit like TB, but at least we will live with it. Yes, John, I think that's the stage we're at, I think, to tell them how to live with us. Uh, maybe that's not a very popular thing to say in some department might agree with me for saying, but I think that's my honest opinion. I think that's where we're at. And I do think your your uh, comparison to TB is very timely because uh, we were talking, a number of us were talking to the, uh, the Minister, Minister McConnell, even yesterday uh, at another meeting, and he indicated to us that there is every likelihood, he didn't say it was happening, but he indicated there is every likelihood that black grass will be uh, added to the noxious weeds, which means that it will be, I suppose you could say, prosecutable, but it also means that if it was noxious, there is a great chance that it might be farmed. If, if, if you are forced to take out land, that maybe you could make an argument that it should be treated like TB, that you'll be compensated for it. But that's all very forward-thinking comments out of me now. But it looks like it's going to be labelled a noxious weed, and that would then open many other avenues of farming with it or without it or around it, and maybe there'd be compensation for laying land up. But look, that's tongue-in-cheek talk now, please. We refer to it as black grass, but it's not black grass uh, totally in terms of colour. No, not really. It's, it's, it's... It tends to look black in a crop at a certain stage of its of its maturity, just as the head uh, starts to mature and it gets quite a blackish nature. I mean, in its infancy, right up to before it comes out of the crop, it's actually very similar to, you could argue, scotchgrass. But when this little row comes out, he's a different head and he do have a black nature to it. There is thousands of seeds in each year. It has a massive ability to propagate and believe me, from a, from a starting a headland in the space of five or six years, you can have a field completely totally consumed in it. Um, they are, we are, have a present arsenal of pesticides or of chemicals that when used 
in a certain way are able to suppress it. Not all species. A lot of the species that we have, like a lot of other weeds, there's a number of different species of black grass out there. And some have different sensitivity to pesticides or to a given active ingredient than others. And it's a question of identifying those and educating yourself to what what you're dealing with and then trying to apply both IPM measures, which includes ploughing, do I plough, don't I plough, rotation, all those other measures, and then knowing the class of chemicals that you have that may have a suppression effect on the weed. So chagas are very upfront about identifying those weeds for farmers and identifying the species. And it's over the next number of weeks that farmers who think that they have this problem should go and save some seeds, matured seeds now, not when they're half mature, when they're really matured, and get them to your target advisor who will, or even one of the dairy go lads, our own colleagues, and we will send them to Park, who very kindly offer to identify them and to rate their sensitivity to the various uh, arsenal of chemistry we have. Uh, it's it's quite complicated, John, but I think the starting point is let's identify the problem and we'll go from there. As purchasers of Irish grain, where at all possible, in terms of market prospects, market prospects, are they encouraging? That's an awful difficult question to answer. We've had, we say, over the last three months, you could say the market has slipped right down to a level something similar enough to what it was, we say, pre the Ukraine war, maybe still slightly above it. Uh, in the last week, there has been a slight upward movement back on the market again, particularly on oil seeds. Uh, particularly on oil seeds, I would say. Maybe serious to a lesser degree, but yes, the arrows are green rather than red. They're slipping back up again. And unfortunately, some of that is related back to the Ukraine Russian conflict and the Black Sea corridor and all that we, we look, we all know about that, that. That there is probably at this stage more a realistic chance that that's going to be uh, abandoned, I think. But I think also the, the weather, the, the forecasts that they happen around the world now aren't maybe quite as bind as they had forecasted them to be going back six or eight weeks ago, and the years are coming in maybe just a little bit lower than what they are. And you have some of these trading houses, and they'll take up positions and opinions and notes from various markets. Uh, and at the moment, they seem to be just a little bit more active in maybe pushing the prices slightly forward and backwards. So, look, John, I don't know exactly. We don't know where they'll be. We're, as, a, as, as a co-op, there go, we, I can assure you we will be paying the strongest possible price that the market will deliver to us and that we see delivering right into the spring. But at the moment, it's very, very difficult to call it. All I will say is it's a bit more positive now than it was a far to go. Uh, where are the prices today? Look, someone is going to ask me, look, I'm going to be wrong figures in this. Green barley, maybe... 200 green wheat, maybe 210. But that, look, I, I'm not quoting that. I'm just saying that's where the market at the moment, but they are lifting it. Mr. Liam Leahy, Beef and Tillage Manager, Dairy Gold Agribusiness. Dairy Gold, our sponsors. Liam, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. A pleasure, John. Thank you. You're very welcome. And that's the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to our regular contributors, Barry O'Mahony, 6FM and C103 News Editor, Mary Tubig, 6FM and C103 News Reporter and Newsreader, and creator of the regular Farm Talk podcasts. A very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Farm Talk, Saturday mornings, 7am to 8am, and Wednesday evenings, very popular, midweek, 10pm to 11pm. 
Thank you very much for tuning in to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme on C103. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.